0: Welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6 if you want to follow along. And uh, I'm going to, like I like to do, get a running start at it. And I'm going to pick up in the last verse of chapter 5. And we don't have a slide for that, Jaden, but it's okay. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 21 says, So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, what should we say? Should we keep on sinning so that God's grace, so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that, what, that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died we were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your anointing and your presence in this place. God, I just ask right now that you open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to receive your word, to hear your voice, and to receive truth into our hearts. Father, I ask that you put your words in my mouth and on my tongue and that I only communicate the things that you once said today. May it bring healing and wholeness and life to every person in this room. And as we leave later on, Father, may we leave transformed and changed more into your presence. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. amen. Go ahead, have a seat, sit down. And all continue to stand up. It's nice to be with you all. It's nice to be here. This is our last Sunday, and I realized this morning as I was grabbing a cup of coffee that uh, this time next week, Christmas will all be over and done. And we'll be, if you're anything like our family, you'll be packed. Well, we don't have much of a Christmas tree to pack up this year, but we'll be packing up. Jen likes to get Christmas, like, packed up and gone right away. That's what happens in our house. Boxing Day, we usually like take the tree down and the lights, we're like, "All right, let's move on to the next season." Anybody else? Are we just like super Grinchy? We are super Grinchy. <laughs> Let me ask you this: by show of hands, who begins to decorate in October for Christmas? This is my niece, and I want to tell you all there's something wrong with this part of the family. We have a family group chat with my sister and, like, my niece and other parts. And I think it was October 30th or maybe the 31st. It was before Halloween. Yeah. And Christmas decorations were up. Listen, as far as I'm concerned, this is my personal preference. I'm not preaching this to you. But the way this goes is you have Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, so six weeks before Christmas, not the one in October 1st. And then when Thanksgiving's over and done, then you set up for Christmas. That's the acceptable time. Is that just me? You're all staring at me like, man, you're crazy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanksgiving six weeks before Christmas, not the one like three years before Christmas. Okay, well, anyways, so apparently we were super grinchy, but I realized all that to say, I realized this is the last Sunday of the year. I realized that by this time next week, Christmas will be over and done and gone, and we'll be moving on to other things, and I'm excited. Um, Pastor Jenny touched on it, but we got our fast starting January, the first week of January. We're starting our 21-day fast, which we've been doing for the last three years, and I'm excited for that. Because I know that as we remove things from our lives, that God will speak to us and bring clarity and direction in so many of those areas that we need. Does anybody here need to hear from the Lord on some things in their life? Get some direction and get some clarity, get some some vision? Yeah, yeah. So that's why we love doing that. And I also love that three weeks is, you know... It's a good chunk of time. It's a good chunk of time where you really put down the flesh and you lift up the Lord in your life. It's going to be good. All that to say, let's go back to Romans. Uh, Okay, so Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Well, then, so we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace. What a ridiculous sentence that is, isn't it? But some people have that mindset that we should just, yeah, if we keep on sinning, it just shows how good God is to us. And in here, remember, this was a common... style of writing back when Paul wrote this letter, which was a common style, and he would do this this debate, like somebody was talking to him, asking him questions about the things that he just said. So he's posing another one of these questions by the invisible person that is debating with him, and he says, should we keep on sinning then so that God's grace continues to go and show, us, show everybody how good he is? And he says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or... Have you forgotten that when you joined with Christ Jesus, are you joined with Christ Jesus in this place? Hmm... When you've joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. I want to talk for just a second about this phrase in verse 2 that says, Died to sin. Do you see it there? Can you put verse 2 back up, Jaden? Okay. Since we have died to sin. Now, in this chapter, did anybody read chapter 6 yet? Seven people. Great, great. For those of you who've read chapter 6, you may have noticed this. And as we go through it today, what I want you to pay attention to is this. There is a lot of responsibility specifically in this chapter placed on you as the reader. It says here, now, since we have died to sin, that's assuming that you have given your life to Jesus. And then once you've given your life to Jesus, you have died to sin. Let me show you what these words died to sin mean. The first one here is dead. In the Greek, it's apothenesco, and it means to be dead to sin as the truly regenerate are by having renounced and abandoned it in consequence of their conformity with Christ in his death. That's a lot of biggish words. Let's read it one more time. To be dead to sin as the truly regenerate, the ones who have been regenerated, have come back to life, is what regenerate means in Christ, by having renounced and abandoned. The word renounced means to turn your back on and say, this is what I used to be, but I'm renouncing that old lifestyle. I'm saying no longer this and now this. And then he says, for those who have renounced it and abandoned it. We all know what the word abandoned means, don't we? Right, because... Probably at some point in life, we felt abandoned, haven't we? So we understand the concept of abandonment. He says, those who have renounced that old life and have abandoned it, and then it says, in consequence of their conformity with Christ in his death. Now, that's a great word, conformity. Conformity, conformity, conformity. Being made like is what conformity means. Changing what you were into something else. I am conforming to this new standard. This is what I was over here, but I am allowing a process to take place on the inside of me that is changing and conforming me from what I was into what God desires me to be. Dead. To sin. I'm renouncing, I'm abandoning, and I'm changing from what I was into what I should be through Christ. So, dead to sin, and we know the Greek word for sin is hamartia, and it means a proneness to sin, sinful desire, or propensity. And we know the word sin literally means missing the mark. Dead to sin. Think about this for a minute. In your life, have you died to sin? Or do you allow sin to try and co-mingle in your lifestyle? Do you live a life that has renounced and abandoned those things, those ways of the past, the old way you talked, the old way you acted, the old way you lived, the old things you thought about, the old actions that you did, the old lifestyle? Have you renounced and abandoned those things? Or do you try to co mingle them in your life with a little bit of Jesus? Merry Christmas. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Dead to sin. Dead to sin. Dead to sin. I'll tell you this. Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives and dwells on the inside of you. Right? When you leave these walls today, you walk out this building and you go wherever it is you go. Maybe you're going to go have lunch. Maybe you're going to have buffets, some Chinese buffet that you found that is still open. I don't know how, but it is still open. You go and eat there. Maybe you're going to Wendy's. Maybe you're going Christmas shopping. But when you leave this place, maybe you're going to hang out with family and friends. But when you leave this place, as believers of Jesus, as those of us who have the spirit of the living God living inside of us, you cannot co-mingle sin and righteousness. So when you go out in the world and you meet people and you confront people and you're dealing with people and you're living life and you're interacting with them, what they should see in you is the light of the world, Jesus Christ. We got to be dead to sin. I love that phrase dead to sin. Dead to sin. Sometimes we should just walk around and remind ourselves, I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to that old lifestyle. I'm dead to that old way of living. I'm dead to those old addictions. I'm dead to those old ways of thinking. I'm dead to those old emotions. I'm dead to those things. Those things have no power and no authority over me. And if we don't get any farther than this today, can I just remind you that this entire chapter is about how sin has been defeated in your life that the power of sin is broken over you today through the work of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know if you deal with depression or sickness or loneliness or despair or fear or anxiety or anger and hatred. I don't know if you deal with lust. I don't know what's going on in the deep, dark recesses of your life that only you know about. But what I do know is that even though you're dealing with those things, they no longer have any power or authority. Authority over you because sin has been broken. He says, Have you forgotten? He begins to talk about this concept of baptism in verses 3 and 4. Now, I want to tell you something. Um, we have had the Bible for a long time, and so for us, the concept of baptism is quite normal. We, we don't like, okay, that makes sense. like talking about baptism. But even when Paul wrote this, I want to tell you this. Baptism was a very familiar concept. So for the Jews that he was writing to, the Jews, if you wanted to convert to Judaism, there was three things you had to do. You had to be circumcised. Everybody said, ouch. You had to, um, you had to um, there was a confession that had to be made. And there was, was it a confession? Let me see. Circumcised or oh, a sacrifice. And then you had to be baptized. And that's what you did to become a Jew. Now, also, he was writing to the Greeks at the same time. He was writing to the Romans. And so the Romans they also understood the concept of baptism. The Romans had what was called, um, they called them mystery, mystery religions is what they were called. Let me tell you about these things. So the Romans had their own, their own religions going on, and some of these were called mystery religions, and it came from the word uh, Mayan, M-Y-E-I-N. That's probably not how you say it in a Greek voice, but that's the word, M-Y-E-I-N. And it means mystery or mysterious, and what it was... Was a secret religion, like a cult, and the word the word Mayan means like eyes closed and mouth closed, a secret nobody could talk about it. It was a secret, and so these these religions they all had. Um, what was called a play, a passion play. And these passion plays involved uh, lighting, and they involved music, they involved incense. And the point of these plays in these secret religions, these mystery religions, is you would come in and you would uh, experience it with your emotions. You would experience it with your senses, and you would become one with this passion play. And the passion plays were always, very interestingly, about one of their gods who had suffered, died, And rose again. Interesting, isn't it? Okay, but here's the interesting part about the Romans. To become part of one of these mystery religions, you had to be baptized into it. You couldn't just show up one day and the doors were open to you and you could walk in and be like, hey, I'm here to be, I want to check out what's going on. I want to see what this, what you guys, are. this play looks cool. I want to be a part of it. No, you had to be baptized in it. Before they could go and watch this play and identify with this God, they had to be baptized into it. Literally the same as you and I are baptized as we become believers. They would do things like dig a dirt up grave and then bury the person up to their neck and then the, the person would profess something and then they were initiated into this religion. They were initiated through baptism into this secret religion. So, Paul's writing this letter and he's talking, all of a sudden, he's talking about how we've been died, we've died with Christ, we've been buried with Christ, we rose to life again through his baptism. So, the people that he was writing to probably actually understood the the concept of baptism a whole lot better than 21st century people alive do. Because as you leave this place, the person who is working at Taco Time may not have any concept of what baptism is. But these people that he was writing to did. And he begins to talk about baptism and how there is an initiation and how there is a union and how you identify with Jesus Christ through this baptism. Let's look at two verses here that talk about it. Galatians 2 verse 20 says this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. Let's just read that part again. My old self, the old me, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Um, Colossians in two verse twelve says this: For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about how you are initiated into a relationship with Jesus Christ through your identification of being buried and risen from the dead again with Jesus Christ. And because of that sin no longer has power over you. As you surrendered your life, as you have died to sin, like it says in verse 10, as you have surrendered that part of your life, as you died to sin and risen again, you are initiated into the body of Christ and you are part of that. And for those of us who call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, sin no longer has any power over you. Take a second and think about your life. Think about the areas of your life where sin is trying to have authority. Because it's always trying to have authority in your life. Sin is always standing at the door knocking, trying to find a way in there, trying to become your master. The Apostle Paul talks about slaves and servants a little bit farther on this chapter. Now think about those areas that you just thought of, and I want you to really grasp the fact that that sin, that that thing has no authority or no power in your life any longer because of the work of Jesus on the cross. See, when he went down into the cave, or into the cave, I guess, and then that stone was rolled away and he came out again, that power over your life was broken. And if we could grab hold of that, that truth and that reality, that understanding of who we are, you would, and I would walk in a whole new level of authority. You and I would walk in a whole new level of understanding where we wouldn't allow the things of the world to weigh us down because we would know that it no longer has a right or a place in our life. Amen? Amen. All right, let's keep going. It says, so in verse 5, we've been united with him in his death. We will also be raised to life as we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves. Slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we die with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ has raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. You know, as I was reading this, I was thinking about this passage of scripture. It says in verse uh, 6, I guess it is here, it says the phrase, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Do you know that word might is in every other translation as well? And I began to think about that. I began to ponder. It's really interesting the word that sin might lose its power. And here's the thing. See, through the work of Jesus on the cross, sin has lost its power over us. But many of us walk around trying to dig up the old man that we buried with Christ, give him CPR, and bring him back to life. Because there's just something in that guy we still like. We're just not ready to let go of. I like that way that guy used to party. People liked him. People could hang with that guy. I love the way that dude dressed. I love that guy's hair. I love the way that he could do this, that. And there's something that sometimes some of us go back and we're like pulling out those paddles and yelling clear and laying down the paddles and going, clear, shocking the guy and hopes he comes back to life. And it says that sin might lose its power. And the only authority that sin has in your life and the only way sin gets back into your life is when you open the door and say, come on in. Hey, welcome, friend. It's been so long since I've seen you. Let's go hang. Let's go have some fun. Come on in. Don't worry about your shoes. Leave them on. We're going to go out right away. Sin doesn't have authority over you through the work of Jesus Christ. That power has been broken. But what happens for some reason, and I, I just, I don't know what it is, but for some reason, a lot of us walk around trying to carry this dead man around with us, bringing him back to life every once in a while, carrying on with that commingling. Well, I just, I just, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna cut off his foot. I'm gonna bring this dead man's foot with me everywhere I go, wear it around my neck. It's like a, you know, it's cool. Just just a piece of them. I don't want the whole thing. I don't like the rest of them. That other stuff's bad, but this 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 foot part of them, it wasn't that bad. It was kind of fun sometimes. So I'm going to bring this foot part with me. I'm going to carry it around. Listen, when you die to sin, when something is dead, it's dead it's gone. You should leave that thing buried in the ground. In fact, we all know from watching police shows what happens when you have to dig up a body out of the ground that's been dead and buried for a long time. It's gross. It's deteriorated. The person ain't in there. They're not just like, oh man, like, gosh, I wish these guy would bear me up. I just want to get out and party again. It's so tight and I'm constricted in this place. I can barely move. I can't breathe. I just want to get out of here. I don't want to work. I just want to pay. I want to get out. And then they open the lid, and like, oh, finally. I've been in here for like six years just waiting to get out of this thing. No, when they open, you've seen the shows as much as I have. And they open the, the coffin. They open the coffin. The person's not in there anymore. They're dead and gone. They're deteriorating. Their flesh, depending on how long they've been there, it's rotted away. Their, Their organs are gone. They're turning to dust. The bones are turning to dust. When something is dead, when you are dead to sin, when you have let sin die in your life, it is dead and gone. Don't go out and dig up the grave. Don't bring that guy along with you. Sin has lost its power through Jesus Christ in your life. You don't have to cart that thing around anymore. You can say, no, he's dead and gone. That's what Paul was saying in Galatians and Colossians. He said, it's no longer I who live. I've been buried with Christ. That old man is dead and gone. He's, I don't know, he's gone. He ain't around anymore. He died. He died. Sin might lose its power in our lives. Might lose its power in our lives. You are no longer a slave to sin. I'm here to tell you today. Somebody needs to hear this. You're not a slave to sin anymore in your life. Through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that has ended its authority, its power in your life. It is dead and gone. You're not a slave anymore. Cast those chains off. A lot of us walk around like this and be like, well, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I got these chains on me. And Jesus said, I took those chains off. And you're like, yes, I know, but I got these chains on me. I just got to put these chains back on walk around everywhere I go. And Jesus says, I broke that chain in your life when I died on the cross. And then we say, well, I know, but I got these chains on me. Jesus broke those chains off of your life. You've been set free. You are no longer a slave to the power. I'm spitting everywhere. (laughs) Ella won't sit in the front row anymore because she says I spit too much. (laughs) Splash zone like SeaWorld. SeaWorld. The sham slam. (laughs) You're no longer a slave to sin. For when you died with Christ, you were set free from the power of sin. When you gave your life to Jesus, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, it says right here, you were set free From the power of sin. Verse 11 says, you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Jaden, we got those Greek words, don't we? I want to show you this real quick. Dead is this nekros. It means dead. No longer willingly subject to it. He says you should consider yourself dead to sin. You are no longer willingly subject to it. That means you keep choosing to be subject to this thing in your life. When he says you're no longer a slave, you're dead to it, this thing has no authority, no power, no hold over you. It's not over there cracking a whip over you and you said, I got to do whatever this guy says. No, he's no longer your master. You should consider yourselves dead to sin. And this word sin means this. In this verse here, or alive, I'm sorry, It's this. To be devoted to him. Him being Jesus Christ. To live, and here's this word again, conformably to the will, purpose, precepts, and examples of God. So dead to sin, you're no longer willingly having to subject yourself to the evil ruler of this world. And alive to God is where you are devoted to him, where you live conformably to the will of God purposes, precepts, and examples of God. Dead to sin and alive to God. Dead to sin and alive to God. Dead to sin. Have you died to sin in your life and are you living alive to God? Paul goes on the rest of this chapter and he begins to talk about Not like in verse 12 here, he begins talking about not letting sin control your life. He begins to talk about slaves and servants. And he ends it off in verse 23. And he says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I find it interesting that he uses the wording, the wages of sin. A wage is something that you work for to earn. So your earnings, your toil in sin results in death. But then the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's talking about how you can work and work and work and work and continue to miss the mark, and all that produces is death. But then there's a free gift through Jesus Christ, and that's eternal life. And his whole point that he's trying to make in this passage, in this section of his letter, is that you no longer have to live a life that is subjected to sin. You no longer have to believe the lie that sin has power and authority and a hold over you. He talks about not not letting your body be used for any kind of evil. The phrasing he uses is verse 13. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. For you were dead, and now you have new life. So use your whole body. You know, a lot of times, we just pick certain things that we think the scripture's talking about. He says, "Don't don't let any part of your body be used as an instrument for sin. Or it's like, oh, sex. He's talking about sex outside of marriage. That's what he's talking about. That's the only thing he'd be talking about here. But he's talking about any part of your body. So your mind... Your thoughts, your tongue, which creates words and sounds, your hands, which can do all kinds of evil and wicked things. He's talking about a life, and he goes on and says, Submit your God, your life wholly to the Lord and completely. He's talking about a lifestyle that is dead to the old ways, where you have been identified and initiated into a relationship with Jesus through baptism through surrender to him and through that surrender to him where you make him your master and you become his servant you walk in authority and power over the enemy he talks a little bit about masters and servants, and he apologized. He said, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm talking this way to you um, about masters and servants, but he said, you're so weak that I have to use this terminology. And I want you to realize this. You know, when you think of a servant in the 21st century context, we think of it in the, in the context of like a butler or like somebody who works at, you know, somebody's house or something, and they go and they clean, they're a janitor, and then they have like set hours. Like you work nine to five as somebody's servant, lawn take person care guy, whatever, those things. And um, you think that's, that's what their life is. They have they work nine to five, and then they go home, and they can do their own stuff. Whatever they want in their off hours when they're working, they work for their boss, just like most of us do. But Paul is talking about, if you really understand the culture When they talked about servants and slaves and masters back then, they were talking about servants and slaves and masters. And he's talking about how when you are a servant, in Paul's context of what he's talking about, when you are a servant to something, you are a servant 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You have no free time unless your master says, you can go do what you want for a few minutes until I call you again. And he's talking about freedom from sin, life in Christ. And it's a lifestyle of surrender and servanthood where you submit your life to him. And you realize that, like Paul said many times, my life is not my own, it's not my life I live anymore. I live for somebody else. at somebody else's pleasure. If you watch any of those British shows, when they talk about the, the queen and the prime minister, and a phrase they like to use a lot is, the prime minister serves at the queen's pleasure. And as a servant of the most high God, As a servant of Jesus Christ, you serve and submit at his pleasure. So our life should be what do you want me to do right now? What do you want me to say right now? Where should I go right now? What should I say to this person right now? Is there something you want me to say or do in this moment? No longer slaves. You've been set free by the power of Christ. I can't think of a better thing to ponder and remember and carry with you as you go everywhere else that you're no longer a slave, that you've been set free. Stand up with me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your presence, Father. God, we thank you that your son came and set us free. That he broke the power that sin had over us. That there is nothing now that has authority or control or a hold on us, through the work of Jesus Christ, we have been set free, that we are no longer a slave to sin. Father, I just pray and I ask that you imprint this truth in our hearts and on our minds. Father, that as we continue on in our life, as we go through all the busyness of the season, as we go through the work of our jobs, as we go to school, as we do all the things that we go and do, God, I just thank you that you imprint in our hearts and our minds the love you have for us and the price that Jesus paid for us that set us free once and all from sin, from death and destruction. Jesus, we thank you for the life and the life abundant that we have through your work on the cross. Father, we love you. We thank you. We worship you and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today.